Well, as Jeff said, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, called Leaving a Legacy, uh, looking through the book of 2 Timothy. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope those of you who are at home have got your Bibles, we do like to invite you to bring your Bibles each and every week. You can pull it up on your cellular mobile, uh, you can bring it up on your tablet, however you want to do it. Uh, We are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. Um, We're also going to be in the book of James, and so if you want to go to the New Testament uh, book of James, we're going to be in James 3 for a little bit this morning. Uh, We're going to kind of go back and forth with those, but they really kind of speak to one another. 2 Timothy 2, uh, beginning with verse 14. The big idea behind this sermon series is uh, how do we leave a legacy? How do we live our lives today so that tomorrow our impact and our influence continues to live on? Ten years, a hundred years, a thousand years. I love the fact that we are reading the mail uh, of a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul sending a letter to Timothy, a letter through the mail, and we're still reading his mail 2,000 years later. I think we can agree that Paul... Uh, has left a legacy that continues to be passed on one generation after the next. It's kind of that proverbial passing of the baton, if you will, from one generation to the next. Generation after generation of faithful disciples pouring into the next generation so that you and I, so that we can know Jesus Christ. And now it's our turn. It is our turn uh, to live faithfully as Christ followers and pass on the faith of Jesus Christ to the next generation so that when we're all gone, uh, future generations will continue to worship Jesus um, uh, in this community and beyond. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this new day, for this time that we have gathered together to worship you, to serve you, um, and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, and and God, to be in fellowship with one another, and uh, the reading of your word. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the power of words. Uh, The Apostle Paul is going to talk to Timothy and say, Hey, Timothy, words matter. How you use your words uh, is going to be really, really important uh, for generations uh, far beyond you. Well, one of the privileges uh, of being a pastor is that every now and then I get invited to be a part of a wedding, uh, a wedding ceremony. Some of you say, hey, my kids, my grandkids, somebody I know is looking for a pastor. Would you preside at a wedding? And uh, the wedding is fine. I don't mind doing weddings so much. I'll be honest with you. Weddings are not my favorite thing to do. But very honestly, one of the things I really do enjoy is the premarital counseling. I love sitting down with a couple, a bride and a groom, and I'm doing that right now, actually. Uh, Having conversation, of course, most brides and grooms want to talk about the party, the wedding. And and we do that, and we do some planning with that, but we also spend a a good chunk of time talking about the marriage, that uh, lifelong commitment together. And most of what I do with premarital counseling is nothing that I have thought up uh, creatively or put together. Uh, Almost everything I do in ministry, I steal from someone else. And so when it comes to premarital counseling, I try and find the very best counselors, those who are doing it really, really well. And I 
steal their materials. Actually, I borrow it or I buy it. I don't steal it, actually, but um, I do borrow it. And so anyways, uh, we have a, a variety of conversations, topics uh, like uh, uh, how they're going to uh, handle finances, who's going to clean up the dishes, who's going to take out the trash, kind of all those uh, particular things, children, all that good stuff. And one of my favorites, uh, com favorite conversations with couples is I sit down with them and I said, okay, we're going to talk about communication today. And then I usually look at the groom-to-be, and I say, you need to be really careful with how you talk to your bride-to-be. You need to pay attention to your words. Because I would imagine um, that you uh, might be a little bit like a 55-gallon drum. Words can come at you. And they kind of bounce off you a little bit. Words don't bother you a lot. You can get beat on with words by a spouse, by a boss, by someone out in the world. And it kind of stings a little bit in the moment. But you're like a 55-gallon drum. It doesn't really hurt you so much. you got to be careful with your words. Because your spouse-to-be, she might be different than you as a 55-gallon drum. Words might hurt her a little bit more. She might be a little bit more like a vase. When a vase has words coming at them, a vase, got a vase here this morning. Scott brought in the flowers this morning. Scott, are these your flowers? Where's Scott at? Scott's over there. Scott's Mr. Shy over there. So um, Scott brought in these beautiful flowers this morning, and I asked his permission if I could use his uh, flower arrangement. And a vase is, of course, very different than a 55-gallon drum. This is much more fragile. Because with a vase, when words come at it... You got an extra one, Scott? Extra vase? No. Breaks pretty easily, right? Some of you are wired more like a vase. That when the words come, it hurts. It stings. And it lasts for a long time. And we could go around the room this morning and we could talk about which ones of you are like a 55-gallon drum where the words come and they sting a little bit. And others of you, you would say, no, I'm more like a vase. When my spouse, when someone I love, someone I know speaks words, it does a lot of damage. It's really painful. And I don't just get over it like you 55-gallon drums. Because words have power. Words have power. Words matter. So Timothy is going to look, consider what it means as the Apostle Paul speaks in his life about words. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to pick up 2 Timothy 2.14. Paul writes these words, these words of discipleship, inviting Timothy to really consider how to leave a legacy. 2 Timothy 2.14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's no value. 
and only ruins those who listen. Paul is urging some really strong caution that your words can actually ruin other people's lives. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Or as my dad used to say when I was growing up, watch your mouth. We all need that warning in our lives. Because I think too often we think about words and we're like, ah, words, you know, words. And I I grew up with the phrase, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. It's the biggest lie ever, isn't it? Words hurt. Words can sting. And some people can handle words better than others. But in some people, those words, they can do damage for a long time. There's power in words. You know, as we look at the Bible, as we look at Scripture, we think how the world began. Genesis 1. We read the Genesis story, the creation story. How did God create the world? God spoke with words. There's power in these words. And then in John 1, in the New Testament, in the beginning was the word, the logos. Jesus Christ is literally explained as the word, the logos, the word made flesh. The beginning God spoke and created the world. When Jesus came into the world, he's literally known as the Logos, the Word of God. And then we think about several different stories throughout the New Testament in terms of how words are used. And I remember that one time where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples, and there they are moving across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm rises up. And he's like, Jesus... The disciples are freaking out. Jesus, help us out here. Things are crazy. Jesus wakes up, yawns, stretches. He doesn't go. He looks at the water. He says, be calm. Jesus uses his words to literally bring calm on the seas. Or I think about that other time. When Jesus' good friend Lazarus had died, there he was in the tomb. Jesus shows up a couple days late, and the disciples, everybody's really upset, crying. And remember what Jesus does? He doesn't go up to the tomb, roll away the stone, go in, grab the toe of Lazarus and say, Hey, buddy, wake up. He says, Lazarus come out. Jesus literally raises a man from the dead by using his words. Words are powerful over and over. Jesus uses words to make things happen. It's not just teaching, but actually make things happen. You know, we think about words in our own lives. Adolf Hitler divided the world primarily with his words. Oh, he had an army, all right. 
but the power of Hitler was in his words. And Winston Churchill, he gathered the nations together in the United Kingdom together through the power of his words. Hitler and Churchill never had a, a fist fight. They duked it out with words. They brought the world together. The words of Winston Churchill is what we know today. Another person I think of who used words to really change our nation is Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, he sure, he lived and changed things with his actions, but primarily he was a preacher. He used his words to change our nation and to change our world. And then I think about so many of you as you stood at the altar and you spoke your vows. You weren't just speaking words. You were speaking a commitment. You were speaking words that had power and intention of how you are going to live your life. This is the power of words. They're not just these things that we read or we hear, but words actually do something. There is power in words. So I want to just shift for a moment over to the book of James, also in the New Testament. James was the brother of Jesus. And one of the things you need to know about uh, James is that when Jesus was alive doing his teaching and his miracles, uh, his brother James and, frankly, the rest of his family, uh, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They're like, that guy is crazy. We know he's teaching and doing miracles, but we don't believe who he is. But then after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James and others in his family, and they believed. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you've got a brother, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Messiah, the Son of God? I've got a brother. He's a great guy. He's a churchman. Uh, he's, uh, he's a faithful man. He's a really good guy. But if my brother came up to me someday and just said, Behold... I'd be like, yeah, I don't think so. And that was really what happened with James and Jesus. And James said, I saw my brother who rose from the grave. He is the son of God. So James wrote a letter, a letter to the church. It's called the book of James. And this is what James says about the power of words. James 3, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I'll just, for uh, parenthetically, I don't really like that verse. Um, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, I will tell you. Uh, but nobody asked me, right? Nobody said, hey, Brian, what do you think about this in the Bible? It's just, um, it's in the Bible. So uh, I have to live with that. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And so James is really kind of setting things up for if you're perfect, you can keep your whole body in check. James 3.3, 3. when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And I don't know if you've ever seen about a 75-pound girl sitting on the back of a 1,000-pound horse. It's, it's a pretty remarkable sight to behold. And that girl is able to uh, move the horse this way or that way. 
because of that bit in the mouth of the horse. And I just think it's a really powerful image that James lays forth. James 3, uh, verse 4. Or take ships as, as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is the small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. You know, the tongue only weighs about a pound. Now, I don't know how much you weigh, but uh, according to my weight, that's just a small percentage, a small part of the weight of my body. But the power of my mouth leads me, and the power of your mouth leads you in so many different ways, much like a ship and a rudder. There it is. Uh, verse 6, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course for one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Now, these are some really strong words. Uh, uh, James does not mince words, but I love this image and just this reminder of how evil, how horrible, how terrible, how destructive our tongue can be. And he uses this uh, imagery uh, of a forest fire. And I don't know if they had seen forest fires like we see forest fires on television. But we think about forest fires, especially the ones out west in California, where just like, you know, just this massive forest fire that causes so much destruction. And I think that's true in every one of our lives. It all just starts with something really, really small. Somebody, you know, said, you know, I'm just going to uh, light a fire right here, and then they throw the match off or whatever it looks like, no big deal. And they very casually and carelessly uh, just uh, allow that match to turn into something so massive and so destructive. And that same, same thing is true in our lives. See, there are power and there's destruction that can come out of our mouths. See, if I were to stand up here uh, and share with you uh, just some simple things, it could have pretty big consequences for you, or for me, actually. I've been in ministry almost 30 years. And if next Sunday uh, I came up here and said, you know what, I think we should just get rid of the Bible. I think we should do something else. And then I walk out uh, here on Sunday morning. The following Sunday, the church council would be standing up here, and they would say, you remember Pastor Brian, don't you? I mean, it would be over, right? If, if I spoke just some simple words, there are major consequences for my life, my family's life, in terms of how I use my words. Words can destroy relationships, Words can destroy opportunities. Words can destroy reputations. Verse 7, James continues, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been tamed, and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. And as he talks about this, I think about the zoo. You know, you go to the zoo, you spend, I don't know, $9, $40 at the zoo to see these wild animals. I mean, none of us are getting hunted down by saber-toothed tigers anymore, right? But if you pay just a little bit of money, you can go and see some you know, pretty vicious animals out in, in, in the, uh, at, at the zoo. 
This is what Paul is, uh, James is talking about, is that you can't tame it. We can tame animals or we can put them in cages, put them in a zoo. He says, not so with the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise, come praise and cursing. And so now James kind of shifts gears a little bit. He talks about the danger, the poison, uh, the consequence of the tongue. But he says, isn't it interesting that that thing that is on the front of your face can bring curses, but it can also bring blessings. And what James reminds us is truly, this is just a tool. This is just an instrument. The real issue is not with our mouth. The real issue is with our heart. James tells us, it's not your mouth so much, but what comes out of your mouth is really a reflection of your heart. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 12, uh, 34, he says this, For out of the overflow, the mouth speaks. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What Jesus is saying, of course, it's what's in your heart that's coming out. So it's, you know, it's kind of like this water bottle. I guess it's uh, sermon prop day, right? So if I were to shake this water bottle, what's going to come out of here? Water, right? The answer is not Jesus this morning. The, the answer is water, right? So what, what's going to come out of here is water. Because water is what's inside. This is what James is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not really about your mouth, but it's what's in your heart. You know, in 1957, there was a a guy by the name of William Mellon, and he was a a military guy, and he worked on computers. Uh, He was a, a computer specialist in the Army. And he developed this term that we know today as garbage in, garbage out, gigo, right? We all probably know this idea of gigo or garbage in, garbage out. And he, this guy back in 1957, he came with the, up with this idea because he was trying to explain computers to everybody else, saying, hey, here's the deal. Computers can't actually think on their own. You have to program them. So if you put bad information, you program an inf- a, a computer poorly, you're going to get bad data coming out. But if you pay attention and you program a computer well, you're going to have good stuff going in. You're going to have good information coming out. Back in 1957, this was revolutionary. Garbage in and garbage out. And I love that imagery. You know, I think about uh, the Old Testament. Proverbs 12, 18 says it this way. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's this contrast. It's this juxtaposition. This idea of what is in comes out. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless in the original Hebrew is Twitter. Twitter. Reckless words is Twitter. The Greek is Instagram. The Latin is Facebook. Reckless words 
spoken, written, proclaimed. That's social media today, isn't it? Garbage in, garbage out. And I understand this great desire, this great wanting to connect with other people, to connect with others around the world. But let's be honest, so much of what's on social media is garbage. We walk away from our computers, we walk away from our phones, and we are angry, we're irritated, we're upset. All of a sudden, we've developed some anxiety. Garbage in, garbage out. Let's be honest. Social media is a tool, but I think as a nation, as a global society, we are in over our heads. We are messing with something that we cannot get control over. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Of course, the opposite is also true. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So we think about the wise and how that brings healing, and it comes out of the mouth that comes from the heart. And where does that come from? It comes from the very Word of God. We're reminded that as Jesus was tempted in the desert, in the wilderness, and Satan was saying all sorts of uh, horrible things, trying to tempt Jesus to do some stuff, time after time, Jesus quoted Scripture. The tongue of the wise brings healing. This is why we are reading through the Bible in 2021, Genesis through Revelation, because we're trying to become more wise in our thinking. We're trying to experience the love of Christ through God's word in our hearts, and we're inviting the Holy Spirit to move through our souls, and this is why it is so important for us to understand God's word. You know, oftentimes people will quote a verse here and a verse there to justify their position on about anything. The theological term for that is called eisegesis. And it's starting with an idea, a concept, and then it's cherry-picking different things from Scripture and saying, this is my conclusion based on what I've just read, these different verses. And it's very dangerous today, and we hear this over and over. And this is why we're reading through the entire Bible. And I know it's a bit of a slog. It is for me, too. Some of it's kind of tough to read. It's, some of it's boring. Some of it's full of detail. Some of it's um, violent. Some of it's uh, just we don't get it. We don't understand it, right? But we need to understand the entire story of God, Genesis through Revelation, so we can put Bible verses in their context. And I think this is what James is writing about and how important it is that our words are just, we're filling our minds with the word of God. Words matter. Now, you might not be convinced still that words matter, but good thing, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul has more things to say about uh, words. Uh, Back to 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Their talk will spread like gangrene. I don't know if you've ever seen gangrene before, but you need to. So I want you to go ahead and just look up at the screen and look at that. Gangrene, you know, usually impacts the extremities, fingers, arms, legs, other parts of the body, and it slowly dies. And this is the kind of language 
that Paul is using to Timothy. This is the power of words. It kills the body, the extremities. And the only way that you can cure gangrene to take care of it is you have to cut it off. You have to amputate it because the parts of the body are dead. Do you guys want to keep looking at that or should we move on? Move on. Okay. Verse 18. Among them are Hermionius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Now, I love this. Again, here we are 2,000 years later. We're talking about the legacy of the Apostle Paul, the legacy of Timothy, but now the legacy of Hermionius and Philetus. These two guys. And so how would you like 2,000 years from now you to be known as a liar? I mean, that's what, what Paul's doing. He's calling out these two guys in the church. That would be like me standing up here on Sunday morning and saying, you know what? You know who's got a really foul mouth? John. You ever hang out? I mean, he looks all pious and real in church, right? But if you spend any kind of time with him, oh my goodness, he will make you blush. The potty mouth. It's, I mean, that's, this was, um, that's not true. I haven't heard potty mouth from John. Okay, a little bit maybe. Okay. But that's what Paul is doing. He's calling out these guys in the church. Saying they've got rid They're liars. Verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. So this, this, this part of Paul's writing this morning, it closes, it kind of finishes up with these really, I think, beautiful, wonderful words. Nevertheless, in spite of all that I've shared with you about the mouth, the good, the evil, the burning, the, the, the bit, the, the gangrene, nevertheless, in spite of all that, God's solid foundation stands firm. Nevertheless. And I think as Jesus followers, that nevertheless, God's firm foundation is always the place that we need to be reminded of week in and week out. The power of the mouth can do wonderful and great things, but the power of the mouth can also do destructive and horrible things. Nevertheless, God's in charge. God is faithful. So I'm going to close by just giving you three quick ways uh, how you can apply all this. Number one, and it's going to be the most obvious one, and I've already talked about it a little bit. Feed your mind with God's Word. Feed your mind with God's Word. Now, many of you I know are reading through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. I just want to encourage you. We are three-quarters of the way done. Keep it up. Keep going. Stay in God's Word. It's so important that we just absolutely fill and feed our mind with God's word. Number two, don't hide behind your intentions. You ever done this with your words? You've kind of said, well, I had good intentions. I just maybe didn't say it the right way. It, it just kind of slipped out, right? I'm just saying, well, if you got to just saying, don't say it, Right? Don't hide behind your intentions. Always kind of pay attention and think about what your intentions are, whatever the words are that are coming out of your mouth. 
About 15 years ago, Logan and I were uh, kayaking on the Mississippi River in northern Minnesota. And uh, up in northern Minnesota, the Mississippi River is, is it's kind of like the, the, the Mackinac River around here, I suppose. It's pretty small, uh, pretty narrow, and we were going through a section of the Mississippi River uh, where there were trees uh, coming over the river, and we literally had to climb up and over these trees and bring our kayaks up and over. And Logan was about nine years old at the time. And so um, uh, he, was, he was struggling. He wasn't really into it. Uh, I will be honest with you. I was a little bit scared um, because here we are on this, this river, and uh, I, I thought something bad could happen. And in a moment of uh, frustration, because I didn't think Logan was helping enough, I compared him to our neighbor, uh, who's a girl, and she was six years old. Now, what nine-year-old boy wants to be compared to a six-year-old girl. That's what I did. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just motivating Logan. I'm just helping him to just kind of pick up the slack a little bit. That was 15 years ago. And I shudder to think about the wounds, the damage that I did to that nine-year-old boy in the name of my good intentions of motivating him. Pay attention to your intentions and how you are saying things. And number three, consider your authority. Consider your authority. Depending on your role, depending on your position with that person that you're talking to with words, it's going to carry different weight. If you're a boss, the weight of your words is going to be elevated if you're just a coworker. If you're a good friend, uh, the weight of the words is going to be higher and higher. If you are a parent, the weight of your words is really going to carry into the life of your kids. And I think the weight of dad's words, some of the most powerful, heavy weight ever. So dad's. Or are you talking to your kids? Because you may not realize it, but you could be crushing your kids. Because the words that you say, the words that you speak, they carry a lot of weight. Now, I'm not saying don't speak the truth to your kids, but be careful, dads. Your words weigh a lot. Well, I know I said I wanted to close um, with those three suggestions. I want to just say one more thing. There are some of you here this morning I know who have been wounded by words. And maybe those wounds came 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I don't know. Decades ago, you're still living with wounds in your life. And I want to encourage you this morning. These words from Paul to Timothy. Nevertheless, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. However you have been wounded, I want to encourage you that God still got your life. He's still bringing healing. He's still bringing hope. And how God does this uh, in our lives is he knows about the brokenness, the shattering in your life. And he takes that wound, the brokenness, 
dusts off the glass, the shattered, and he replants you into something new, into himself. He says, come on, let me give you a hug. Let me just dwell with you and heal those wounds that have pierced you so deeply. And that's what Jesus does. But we have to be open to that. We have to invite him into that time in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this reminder of the power of words, the power to build up and the power to crush, the power to destroy, the power to hurt. So Lord, make us wise, make us cautious, make us careful to choose our words wisely to encourage others, to strengthen others, to love others, not love as the world defines love, but as you and your Holy Scripture define love. God, that's who you've called us to be, people of love, love and tenderness and gentleness. And Lord, as there are people here this morning who continue to struggle with brokenness, wounds in their lives. We pray, God, that you just make them open. Make them open to receiving a new vessel to hold them, to carry them, to nurture them, to bind up their wounds. God, you're good. You're faithful. This is the gospel message. You make all things new through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.